Hey, Kyle here. In today's interview, I get the privilege of sitting down with Greg Pang, the CEO and president of Community Home Health and Hospice. Hey, everybody. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody and hope people get to know you a little bit. Sure. Uh, I am, uh, my name is Greg Pang. I have been the president and CEO since 2005. So that makes it 15 years. Uh, community home health and hospice um, has been the best job I've ever had. Uh, I have never felt more fulfilled coming to work. Um, what we do is critically important, especially right now during this pandemic in terms of keeping people safe and providing care that they need in their homes, right? And a lot of people don't wanna be in hospitals and nursing homes right now. And so we make it possible for people to receive care in their homes. Um, I've been doing this for 32 years, long time. Uh, and I um, am a Washington native. I started doing this up in the Seattle area. Then I moved to Kent, um, worked at Good Sam in Puyallup. And that's where the prior executive director of the agency found me 15 years ago. And she said, come over. She was retiring. She said, come and take over for me. So I did. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So tell us, yeah. tell us a little bit about uh, what you do for fun. Tell us a little bit about the family. What I do for fun. Well, I just got back from a uh, camping trip and uh, I take my RV and I go, I have this little RV and I like, once a year, I go off by myself. Nobody, no kids come with me, no dog comes with me, I go. So I just got back from my trip and I went to Southern Idaho and I gotta tell you, it was a good time to travel because there were, businesses were just reopening. And so while you, you wear a mask and you glove and this hand sanitizer and all that, you're good, right? Businesses were open. Um, restaurants, you, I, there was a few times when I was the only person in there and I had three wait staff coming in talking to me. Campgrounds were about a third full maybe. So it was a good time to travel, I think. And um, so you're, I think there's a good balance right now between being able to socially distance and patronize these businesses and restaurants. I think you can do both. And I think we need to be able to do both because we have to, um, control the, the rate of infection, but we also cannot keep the economy shut down. And right, we cannot do this indefinitely. We have to find the balance between the two, not the extremes, but the balance. So um, that's what I did for fun. <laughs> I went on a trip. I like I it. play tennis, I bike to work, um, you know. So right now, as you can see, I'm working at home. Right. Yes. So I go in a couple days a week right now to check in with the staff. Um, you know, there's things that I need to sign and things I need to pick up and things like that. But honestly, right now, um, I think it's important as a healthcare provider that we keep our staff. My staff are the frontline staff. And everything we do right now is to keep them safe and protected because if, you know, you don't want to take a frontline co worker out during this pandemic, they need to be there to provide this care um, to people who need us. So um, we're doing a lot of telecommuting, we're doing virtual meetings, we're doing Zoom meetings like this, um, just to minimize our exposure to, to um, for our healthcare workers. So I think it's important. That's incredible. So give us, yeah. give us a snapshot of community home health 
and hospice and what are some of the services you guys provide and sure. where are you where are you what type of what community are you serving okay so um uh we have a number of different programs home health hospice hospice care center and our private duty home care program all of them are focused on taking care of patients in their place of residence so that they can stay in their place of residence their place of residence may be their personal their private home it may be an assisted living facility it may be in a skilled nursing facility like a nursing home it might be in an rv it might be in you know a parents home it wherever they call home our goal is to try to keep them there safe so um typically our our nurses will go in and uh, make sure that, uh, you know, we'll get a patient, for example, who um, is just coming out of a total joint replacement, who needs home physical therapy, right? Rather than that patient going into the clinic and getting that physical therapy, our physical therapists will go to their home. So they can do it at home. The cool thing about seeing their home is we see their environment. Mm. What are the tripping hazards? Um, even sometimes like what their diet might be and things like that. Things that might cause them to have to go back into the hospital, we can intercept that and say, look, you know, let's change this so you don't fall down the stairs, you don't trip over the rug, you don't have all these cords laying here. Um, now that you have a walker, we'll need to, this is a good way to change this so that, you know, you're not, there are no, no hazards or things you're bumping into, right? We do that kind of thing. Um, patients come to us with um, all kinds of diagnoses related to diabetes or maybe they're post-stroke, you might have just had a stroke. Um, so, um, that's most of our patients. We also have hospice, which are patients who are facing end of life. And, uh, we surround the family with love and care and support. We, um, have nurses that go to the home and our goal there is, is to just increase quality of life for the time that they've got left. However time of time they've got left, keep them pain and symptom free, um, keep them so that they can, uh, relate to their family members and, um, you know, and, and then, of course, if their pain or something gets out of control at the end, that's why we have hospice care centers. Uh, we have one in Longview, one in Salmon Creek. And so if, if pain becomes an issue and it becomes intractable or, that, you know, that, uh, that sort of symptom, then we can bring them in and have 24-7 nursing care for them to make them comfortable. So um, we also have a private duty program, and that's where you can have one of our aides come to your home on a continuous basis. Some of our patients have us there 24 seven, mm -hmm. right? An aid in their home because they have a lot of um, independent living needs. They might um, be in a, confined to a wheelchair. They might need a continual presence there. And um, that's so that they generally, the next step would be that they would be in a nursing home, right? And so this is so they can stay in their home. Uh, sometimes people in our private duty program just have a nurse come out. Uh, I, I mean, an aide come out, nursing aide come out just a, a couple hours a day, right? Cook a meal, um, maybe do the laundry, um, you know, uh, those, that sort of thing, provide some personal care, bathing support, help them get dressed or whatever. And we do that a few hours a day and then they're good the rest of the day. So, and we'll do that, of course, holidays, weekends, evenings, um, and that's the goal there, of course. They, they, they're probably, a lot of our clientele, they've been in that home that they're having us come to for decades, mm -hmm. right? All of us know, right, probably have a parent or a grandparent who's been in that home for decades, right? 
and they want to stay there. So they have us come out so that they can stay there and be independent. So that's what we do. We are um, freestanding, which means that, and not for profit. So freestanding, which means we're not affiliated with a larger organization like Peace Health. We're not owned by anybody. Um, Peace Health or Legacy, right? They're all separate organizations. Um, and because we're a nonprofit, we're not owned. That means we're a community resource. Uh, and uh, we um, have a board of directors that's a volunteer board of directors. Those are my boss. There's 14, 15 of them, 14 members who are there. That's who that, right? I'm their employee. And um, their, their um, job is to make sure the mission of our organization to the community is fulfilled. Now, what, so, what areas do you guys service? Yeah, we service all of Clark County, all of Cowlitz County, all of Waukiacum County, and Columbia County, Oregon. So four counties. Right now, we have about 600 patients on service. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how has COVID-19 affected you guys as a business? Talk, talk us through what you guys have been working through and processing. How long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me just, I'll try to be um, concise. Um, COVID has been, um, wow. Uh, you know, you always say you create a strategic plan and then, um, you know, you try to follow that strategic plan. COVID is one of those things where you just take the strategic plan and go out the window. It's totally uh, changed how we do things. Um, I think, uh, first of all, um, our our whole all of our infection control, how you know PPE, um, how important that is. That has been, uh, you know, the kind of trainings that we've had to go, go through, the kinds of uh, facility changes we've had to go through, staffing training. I mean, there's just been a lot of all that. I think also. Um, with regards to testing, that's a whole new world for us. Um, operating in a time when both of those are so critically important, PPE, testing, and there is just a dramatic shortage of both. Mm. It's um, really made me look at our healthcare system and go, um, you know, <laughs> this is, we shouldn't be having to do this. Um, Agencies bidding against other agencies for it to, to obtain masks. States bidding against other ma states to, to try to get ventilators. Nationwide shortages of testing kits. You know, and every it's like um, there's no single coordinated approach. Everybody's just kind of trying to scrape it together from day to day and do the best we can. And that's um, kind of been life since January. So um, as an organization, we saw our... Um, our caseloads, that's how many patients we have on service, drop about 25% over the past two months. And that's because the uh, state said no elective procedures. So elective procedures being like joint replacements, uh, back surgeries, right? People were all, right? The kinds of things for which we would see patients after they were in the hospital, they might've had a procedure, um, you know, some surgery, and, and then we would see them after that. Um, so that they can go home. Since we're not doing elective procedures, right, obviously the, that 
the, that caseload went away. It's starting to come back now. Elective procedures were permitted again, I think about four weeks ago. So we're starting to see our census climb back up again and how many patients we're taking care of at any given time. So um, fortunately during um, that period, we did not lay off a single staff person. You know, we, um, we were able to survive that. And, um, you know, now we're getting people back to work and back to full and busy again. So um, that's been good. I, and, um, you know, I, it's, we've had to rewrite the book um, in our agency on infection control and how we monitor infections, how we track them, what's the follow-up, how do we train, where are we getting equipment from? You know, there's 10 different types of masks training staff on use this mask in this situation, but not this situation. But the exception is this situation, right? And it's just, it's kind of maddening. So give us an example real quick. What's, what, give, give, for, for your okay. average person who has no clue about masks. Yeah. Here's my mask. Yeah. This is a cloth mask, right? Okay. Not every mask is the same. My cloth mask is great for preventing right? Keeping droplets here. So when I'm speaking, um, coughing, sneezing, it keeps the droplets from spreading all out, right? That's what this mask is good for. It is not good for preventing a droplet from landing on me, right? right? So, so in order to, pre let's say my staff are collecting a, um, they're getting a test sample from a potentially COVID positive patient right? We don't know. They might have coronavirus. They might not. We don't know. So what kind of equipment does that staff person need in order for them to be completely safe getting that sample from that patient, right? You know, the Q-tip that goes up the nose and all that. Okay. So this is not going to do it. This is not going to keep them safe. They have to have a face shield, N95 mask, gown, hair covering, shoe coverings, right? They have to be like bulletproof, mm. right? And so every staff person has to know exactly when they go into a patient room or they're going to a patient's home, what's the infectious status of that patient? Now, tricky, when we go into a home, who are the other people in that home? Do they have care? Do they have a loved one in there? Who's going to be there during the visit? Is anybody in there potentially infectious, right? So then we start handing these out. That's why we need the sewing brigade to sew us these masks because we start, when we go to these visits, we're handing, we're like, all of you mask up because what we have to do is create a barrier to protect that healthcare worker at all costs, protect my staff at all costs. Does that make sense? Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So now, now you mentioned you mentioned a group of people. You said the sewing brigade. So tell, tell everyone who's going to watch this, what is oh the sewing gosh. brigade? Okay, the sewing brigade is a group of volunteers um, who they're sewing. Um, some of them are, are individuals, but there's also groups like Ladies of the Lake and um, other sewing brigades. Like they're from Longview all the way to Clark County, and all they're doing is sewing these masks, right, one after the other. They're going to Joann's or wherever. They're pulling fabric out of their closets, and they're just sitting at their sewing machines. And they will come in with bag hundred like in a week, put these hundred for you. Oh my gosh. Thank goodness for them. Right. Yeah. They, some of them are working. Some of them are volunteers. Some of them are retired. 
And they're just busting out their sewing machines and getting these masks made. And um, I can't tell you how grateful I am for their time, their effort, their energy, because we it helps us to surround that healthcare worker with that wall of protection that they need so that they can provide this care that's so critical. So um, we've had 60 since uh, mid-February when we started, I think we've had 6,400 masks made wow. for our organization. And they just keep bringing them in. Every, every day somebody's bringing in a, a Ziploc baggie full of masks and it's just been fantastic. So here's my other one. <laughs> so, God. I like it. R, right? So yeah. it's, it's, it's required. When, when I go into the office, it is required that we wear these. And I, that's true of a lot of businesses too. That's, that's, that's incredible. I love yeah. hearing so just, just that support that you, you guys have and, and all that. So, so yeah. make, no, I got to tell you when, when, when these things show up and my staff say, I need 10 more, right. Cause they've got, um, you know, they'll typically do five or six home visits a day. Right. So I need 10 more for today because I'm going to probably give two out at every home, right. One for the patient, one for their caregiver, right. Whatever. And we have these here for them. And, we, and they know that we did not buy these because you can see the stitching. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so when they are able to give these out, it's like feel the love mm. of all the um, community members who are here cheering us on and saying, you guys are doing great work. And here's how they're showing it is they're bringing these in for us. And you just go, we could not do this if it was not for the entire community. Honestly, we could. You've shared a lot of just different changes that you have, that you've gone through in terms of as an organization. So right now, just kind of just personally, what are you learning in this season? Oh my gosh. Okay, so um, here's this is a lesson that I've learned multiple times in my life, and I'm just reminded. And here's what I'm reminded of. There are way more things out of your control than are in, in life. You know, when you talk about a pandemic, when you talk about the economy, when you talk about terminal illness, um, aging, right? These are things that we do not control, but have huge, as we've seen, huge impact on our life. And so one of the things I'm learning is um, to accept, right? Open-handed like this, accept. Yep. This, I can't change a pandemic. I cannot control this virus. I can't control whether X person across the street wears a mask when they go to the store. I can't control, right? There's so many things I cannot control. I can only control what's right here. Yeah. Right? And how I respond to it. And um, so that's my big reminder is, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. open-handed acceptance. This is the reality. Let's operate within it. That's good. That's, that's so good. We're, we're all in that same boat of trying to navigate what we can control and what we can't. What yeah. what's a message that you find yourself sharing with your with your team and with your employees during this season? Is it that same message of you can control what you can control and you can't control what you can't control, or is it or is it something different? What what type of message are you sharing 
sharing with your employees and with your team? <laughs> I would say that the message I'm sharing is, well, I guess we have a plan for today. <laughs> to, the plan for today is not going to be the plan for tomorrow. You know, I, I was, uh, I was so glad early on, you know, when we put plans together around, for example, uh, visitation to our care centers. We have two hospice care centers and the government put out visitation standards, you know, so, you know, here people are terminally ill and they're dying in our care centers. And we want to be able to provide as much visitation as possible. Yet it's that whole push and pull tension between infection control and access, right? We are living in this tension that's pushing and pulling this way. And we're trying to figure out what's the right balance between the two. So I, I, we created plans and, um, you know, put signs up and put, right? And the next day, the government says, you know, no, actually, here's what we meant by that. Everything had to come down, all the signs, all, everything on our website, all the announcements, everything, we, and then we had to redo it right? And then I think that version lasted maybe seven days. And then we had to take that all down, right? And <laughs> it's just been going well. That's why, you know, at our, at our meetings, when we're trying to plan this whole, right, let's do this for today. And then tomorrow, we'll see what happens. So where, where can uh, people find you? How can people get a hold of you? And so give them, give them some contact information sure. some, some some online stuff where you can oh yeah here so here's our website chh.org that sounds good so that's our website you can get a hold of me there there's an info right info at chhh.org just click on that submit a question uh you can find out more somebody will get right back with you because we've got somebody monitoring that info uh seven days a week right so um, that's the best way to get a hold of us and to find out what's going on. Anybody who wants to join the sewing brigade, yeah, we've got. We even have um, a video that that shows you how to make a mask on our website. Yeah, so um, if you want to donate to our COVID nineteen fund, so so far since January we've had fifty eight thousand dollars of donations. We've uh, and that goes pretty much for PPE, right? Right, the gowns, the masks, the face shields. We've spent about 40,000 so far of the 58,000. Now, as we're seeing these numbers, right, and we know we're gonna have continued coronavirus cases, it's the mask making, the, the fund, the COVID fund for PPE, right? Those are all gonna be continuing needs. What would you like the community to know? Any, any last words as we yeah. bring down this interview? I'm gonna, the last word that I give, uh, I'll give on this interview is the word that I just, um, I, I say a lot of the time to the community, and that is just a huge, gigantic thank you. If it wasn't for our community, um, with these masks being sewn, with the donations to our COVID fund, right? They have helped to build the wall that's been keeping my staff safe. And when my staff pick up these, I mean, it's just um, the morale that it does for us as, um, as healthcare workers, right? feeling like we're being carried on other people's shoulders as we do this work. Um, so that's the, the thing I, I say the most is just a huge thank you, everybody, for supporting us. Um, you know, every I drive down the street right over here, free coffee, and then you go over there, and it's discount um, 
working on your car, right? They'll, they'll repair it a disc, right? And you just go, man, people are awesome. I know we see a lot of negative news and we've seen a lot of really hard stuff in the news lately, but I'm trying to hold on to that fact that people have been just absolutely awesome. Well, Greg, thank you for joining me yeah. on today's interview. It was great sitting down with you and my pleasure. community, home, health, and hospice. It has been my pleasure. Thanks, Kyle, for having me. That was really what you're doing as well, just getting the word out and um, uh, interviewing um, people who are front lines like us and just telling people what's going on in the community, I think is a huge service as well because, um, you know, knowledge is power and you know, I think, again, I, I hope people understand that there's awesome things going on and there's really good news out here and there's really caring, loving, giving people in our community. And I just can't say thank you enough. Well, thank you. And we want to always encourage our watchers to support local, support Van Wa, and just to echo Greg, there is good news.